Wendy Klein is a fine art landscape photographer and dedicated educator. She finds her passion in preserving the world's breathtaking beauty. Her whole being resonates with the enchantment that unfolds when fervent nature photographers unite, inspiring the creation of her women's capture magic retreats. Wendy firmly believes that women like herself crave the chance to explore, create and foster connections with kindred spirits. Through her lens, Wendy captures the serenity and tranquility that nature photography brings. Her ultimate joy lies in guiding others to seize the profound magic of Mother Nature, whether through her educational endeavours or the immersive retreat experiences she offers. Wendy strives to share her profound connection with the natural world and help fellow photographers discover the serenity and enchantment it brings. We discuss her beginnings in photography and what brought her from nursing to being a full-time professional photographer and educator, how her workshops work, and much more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Wendy. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, Grant. And uh, it's finally nice to put a face to your name, long last. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for being on the show. You've been on the list for a little while and I've managed to get around to uh, get, getting you here. So why don't you tell people who you are and what it is that you do? Okay, I'm Wendy Klein and um, I'm from Brisbane in Queensland, originally New South Wales, but married a Queenslander. So here I am. I have lived in South Australia as well. I was a nurse for 46 years and, and now I'm a full-time professional photographer. Fantastic. So how did photography come from nursing? <laughs> Good question. I guess... I just wanted a bit of a, an escape route from such a busy, hectic workload and sure. always had an interest in photography. My dad was a really good photographer back in the film days and I didn't realise that until not that long ago when he had to go into a nursing home and we had to clean out all his garage and he said, oh, do you want my camera gear? And I said, oh, what camera gear is that? I knew he had a, a camera, but I, he brings out the big box and here was his Minolta camera and he had all the lenses, he had filters, and I thought I didn't know any of these things existed years ago, but, um, but they were all full of fungus, so I didn't bother taking them. But, um, yeah, so I guess it was something then I thought well, I'd look into and on my days off and sometimes after my shift I'd go into the city at night and just practice photography. Sure. Yeah. But as a teenager, I actually had one of those little compact Kodak cameras. Yep. Like in the film. Yeah. And uh, you didn't know what you got until you had the film developed. And I used to send them away and get them back and look at them. And they were all blurry. And so yeah. after 12 months or so, I gave that up. And it wasn't until probably nearly eight years ago, I said, yeah, it'd be yeah. eight years ago, I suppose now that. I thought, oh, I just want something to do. And on my days off, instead of being bored, sitting at home doing nothing and just something that would relax me and take my mind off my nursing jobs and stuff. So yeah. I took myself to a camera shop and started looking at cameras. Cool. So what was the, uh, the catalyst to make you decide to go professional? What made you say, okay, this is now something that I want to make as a career? Dale Sharp was probably the instigator of that. He okay. was my mentor, one of my mentors, and I did a number of one-on-one -on -one workshops with him. 
and I just liked his style of photography and that's what got me into doing long exposures and I just went in and practiced all the time and and then I had people wanting to come and shoot with me and learn from me and that's when Dale Sharp says Wendy you've got to start charging for this people you're paying money to learn what you've got and the skills that you've got you need to start doing something about it because people are taking advantage of you so that's what got me thinking and thinking oh well I'll um, start going that way and Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. yeah so now I'm retired from nursing after 46 years and doing this full-time it didn't intend to be full-time but it has turned out that way and I've joined forces with Timothy Poulton oh and, yeah yeah and now we do workshops all over the world and I'm loving every minute of it excellent so when you plan to go out are you visualizing the scene before you go or are you more of a and putting a lot of planning up front before going on a shoot or are you more spontaneous and waiting to see what conditions are like and yeah. No, uh, yeah, I'm usually a planner because um, being a long exposure, because I chase cloud and I chase colour and to get oh, that okay. opportunity cloud. So I do have to plan and look at my apps and things like that. So I am a planner and I'm not one that just likes turning up on a location, not knowing where I'm going to shoot. You turn up in the dark and you have no idea what the composition is going to be like. So. Yep. I do like to plan and if possible, I like to go and suss out the area and the location before I actually go for a shoot. Yeah. There is exceptions to that, like when you're travelling overseas. and Yeah, of course. Yeah. Places, but, yeah, but locally here, I have to go and check everything out. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's important to have goals in your photography? I do. I do think it's important. If you don't have goals, how can you go forward? Sure. Like every time I go for a shoot, I'm always challenging myself. What can I do better from when I like it could have been that I could have been at that location 10 times before? And, and when I go each time I go, what can I do better from the shoot I did before? Where can I improve? And that sort of thing. Okay. So in, in setting those goals, are you you know looking to try and find something that's the distinctive or unique in the, the landscape, or are you trying to be distinctive and recognisable in that sort of long exposure genre. Yeah, that's really um, what I'm doing. I'm looking to establish myself as a long exposure person and that's what everyone knows me as. Yeah. And I often getting messages from Instagram or Facebook and can they book a lesson? They want to learn to take photos the way I take photos. So everyone just knows me as the long exposure person now. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. what I like. So, what inspires you to stay motivated and experiment with new ideas and techniques in that genre? I just guess capturing those precious moments and emotions that I get with it. Sure. Uh, yeah, it just, I don't know, it just does something for me. Like the minute I, when I started in photography and the minute I saw it, especially Dale Sharp's photos at the time, I thought, oh, this is what I want to do and they're the type of photos I want to do. Like mm. in a street to do street photography and I think, oh, yuck, I, I hate this because <laughs> I often get asked to go and do street photography with um, different other photographers, but um, it's just not my thing. It's yeah. just people say I've got to get out of my comfort zone, but why should I if I really enjoy something? That's fair enough. I think a lot of people tend to think that doing lots of different things 
you, you can improve yourself. And for certain people, that that's quite true. But I think if you want to be really good at one thing, then you've got to practice that one thing. I think so. And I think now because I'm doing workshops, it's one way of getting people that they know that is what I specialize in. And that's why people are booking on the workshops because they want to learn that technique of that uh, genre. Yeah. that type of yeah. photography. Yeah, I think it's important to find your niche. Some people like a little bit of everything, but I don't know, long exposed just seems to be where my love is. It's, it's It enriches my life somehow. It's I just really feel that it's just, I guess I'm at peace with it when I'm there and I yeah. just love being yeah. there and seeing the clouds and Sometimes I do this little dance when I get the cloud and the colour that's coming. <laughs> yeah, when, when conditions come together nicely, it, it, there is that little happy place inside yeah. you that you go yeah. to and you go, yes, this is the place I want to be. Yeah, and I guess I'm really thankful for my dad that was into photography because I look at it that it's a gift that I've actually inherited from him. Mm. So I'm grateful for that because he used to love doing landscapes and seascapes. So I'm grateful for that, that, you know, even though it took me a while in my life to actually take it up, but it was something that I um, took too quickly. And But then in saying where I am now, from when I started only eight years ago, I guess I was one that just went and put my heart and soul into it, thought this is what I want to do. And because oh. I'm a person that if I make up my mind to do something, I have to do it well. Yeah, yeah. The only way I could achieve that was getting out there even after my nursing shifts and going and practice. I didn't care what it was. I just got out there and practiced and that's become my motto as well. There's no sense in learning something from somebody and then not putting it into practice. I know so many photographers that do workshops and then they don't touch the camera again for another three or four months and then oh, I've forgotten how to do this or all that. But um, it's just getting out there and practice. Yeah, that repetition really makes a, a difference. I think what a lot of people sometimes miss is that control or the controls on the camera, knowing where they are, being able to do things in the dark or blindfolded or with your eyes shut, as, as some people might refer to it. It's an important part of being able to, being in control of the tool that you're using is a big part of making that real for yourself in terms of being able to express yourself. Oh, absolutely agree 100%. And I often get told, oh, you take good photos because you've got a great camera and expensive. Yeah, I I love that line. (laughs) And I say to them, look, your camera can take just as good as the photo that I'm taking with mine. Oh, no, it's not. My camera's only a thousand dollars or something and you've got a nine thousand dollar camera i said you've got to know your camera doesn't matter what camera you've got you can still take good photos but you've got to learn the camera that you've got yeah definitely and the best the 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 saying or that old saying of the best camera is the one that you've got at the time exactly absolutely yeah when i had my very first lesson i nearly gave up photography um i booked a local photographer up here in the area and uh, because I went and bought this it was a crop camera that Ted's camera sold me and because I had no idea about crop or full frame at the time yep yep so I booked a lesson and it was just so technical that I just had no idea of the terminology 
that he was speaking about because I thought that's not in my nursing vocabulary. (laughs) (laughs) And he was even take like basic things like you've got to look at the composition when you're taking photos. And I'm thinking, what the heck's composition? What's this new word and and all these sorts of things? And I nearly put the camera away and thought, oh, I sell it. But then I thought, no, I'm determined to do this. And that's when I went to a Nikon seminar and Dale Sharp was one of the guest speakers there. Right. right. And he was showing a lot of his photos and I thought, wow, this is the type of photos I want to do. And he seemed like a really great guy. So, and he was. And yeah, so that's when I booked a lesson and then it just snowballed from there. I think that process of mastering your craft is definitely a key element for success in landscape. And in terms of putting the hard yards in to understand field work and processing and shooting and camera control, how much of that do you try to instill into your, your workshop attendees? having control you mean over the camera oh no just having to put in the effort what's the saying that 10,000 hours to become to to master a craft or something yeah yeah no we always tell people what we teach they have to go and put into practice and even though it might be repetitive but that's the only way they're going to learn yeah 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 for me with a camera in my hand I never ever feel alone it's, it's always just me and the camera and it's just something that I really enjoy having and it's something I really can't be without now. It's it's part of my life. Some people say I'm, I'm obsessed, but I don't know. It's just unless people really understand the, how can I say it, the rapport you have between yourself and the camera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether that's quite making sense. but um, Yeah, no, that make, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, whereas I do enjoy shooting a lot on my own and I go out on my own a lot sure. uh, only because I'm challenging myself each time mm-hmm. and I know sometimes when you shoot with a lot of other people, there's a lot of competition and they can't wait to get home and put their photos up and then I've been with others where they put their photos and some others in the group have put their photos up and they'll be comparing that and do you think mine's better than this person? And I don't like any of that because everyone's photography is their own journey and everyone is at a different place in their yeah. journey. So I don't look at it as they shouldn't ever compare from one photographer to another. Um, no. I, and- I, I think competing against yourself is actually the place that most people need to, to put their effort into rather than comparing themselves to others. Yes, you can look at the work of others and say, okay, that's inspiring, that's something that I want to strive to achieve and I might not be there yet. But Exactly. But it gives you an incentive to get there to where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of great um, photographers in the world, some that people never, ever have heard of. Absolutely. And and there's a lot of top photographers that never, ever enter competitions. Like people think if you enter competitions and you win, you're the best out there. But I don't agree with that. No, nor do I. No, it is something good. I think everyone maybe should try and enter some competition at least at some stage in their photography journey because I think it does wonders for them. Yeah. And then they're competing and just seeing what others they're up against. But, yeah, I've entered a number of competitions and 
it's getting quite expensive to enter them now as well. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it, it's good. And then if you want to enter that same one again the following year, well, you look at challenging what you did from the year before. Okay, this is what I got and this is the award I got from that year. What yep. can I do better or what photo can I put up that might interest the judges? As we all know, every judge is different. Absolutely. And it, it really does come down to those, those judges' preferences and, and biases. You, you can't deny that they're going to have both conscious and unconscious biases towards particular images or imagery. And those are the sorts of things that you, you've got to keep in the back of your mind when entering competitions, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I think photography is good for me too because it it helps me slow down. Like I'm quite a fast-paced person mm -hmm. and everything's got to be done quick and everything's got to be done on time and everything's got to be done properly. But I guess that goes back to my nursing career because that's what we had to do. And, yeah, whereas photography, it makes me stop and think and and really slow down and appreciate things that I would sometimes just naturally take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. What does success look like for you in your photography? I guess I have been quite successful now and like joining with Timothy Poulton, we've got quite a successful business going, partnership going together with our workshops. Yep. And the more we become known and Timothy being out of it with COVID and that sort of thing, he's now getting back into it. I don't know whether Tim, but... I've seen his work. I, don't, I haven't met him yet. Yeah, yes. He used to be one of the ones that started Focus with about six other men at the time and he used to sponsor the awards and was the judges on the Pano Awards. He's known as the Pano King. But, yep. uh, yeah, so now he's getting back into it and we're both working together. It's it's working really fine. It's working well. And when everyone gives us feedback, they just love our workshops because we make it a fun thing as well as a learning thing. Yeah. And what I, do people expect, could expect on one of your workshops? You mean in what they can learn or...? Yeah, oh, what's the experience like? Some people point people in certain directions around composition or others might be more focused on the technical. I guess a lot depends also on uh, the, the clients that you've got on, on the workshop. But I'm just interested in what experience somebody on one of your workshops could expect. Yeah, um, composition is a big thing. And also camera settings for a lot of them. And we go through explaining why you get to these camera settings. Um, we just don't go out there and say, this is the settings you have to put your camera in. We have to, we like them to work out and we explain to them why you have these settings and start thinking about the exposure triangle. Yeah. And composition is, is probably a huge important part of taking a photo. I've got that right composition that doesn't mean anything, does it? You know? No, definitely not. <laughs> and, and we try and say to them, the composition you get, it's really got to tell a story. It's like someone has put their feet there and is there at the moment when they look at that photo. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah. In so, terms of running a business, you've obviously got to wear a number of different hats and you know, a lot of photographers... <laughs> introverted so they struggle with things like marketing and some of them might not necessarily have 
all of the the business skills like accounting and all those sorts of things. How do you manage that side of things, the administrative side and the the marketing and, and so forth for yourself? Yeah, I'm very lucky that Tim's, his background is a graphic artist. Mm-hmm. So he looks after all the financial side of it and the advertising of the brochures. and Fantastic. And that. <laughs> so uh, it takes a big weight off mine because I'm not that way-minded whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so we usually have this agreement, whereas I usually get the people because I have a huge following. And I have a huge following because I'm an admin for a professional photographer over, and he's one of the judges on the Pano Awards as well. I'm his admin. I get paid yep. to be his admin. And I have a huge following with that and because he's done me on different interviews and that sort of thing. Sure, sure. So I have a huge following with that. So it's not just the local people that are going on our workshops. We're getting people from Canada, USA, all over the place, which is great because you just don't want the locals all the time because otherwise you're not going to expand. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So very lucky that Tim's a graphic artist and can handle all the admin. He does all the accommodation bookings and all nice. that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to find myself a Tim, I think. <laughs> oh, I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, it's brilliant. Yeah, and because he's been doing tours for years all over the world, he just knows all the spots and the places and yeah, yeah, yeah. places to stay. And so far with what we've done together, the accommodation and everything's just been spot on and, yeah, he's just a great guy. Mm-hmm. What's the most important thing to remember when running or hosting a workshop? Um, remaining professional yep. is number one. And coming down to people's level, to the level that they are, yeah. uh, you soon work out who, or how can I say, whether you need to speak to them in really simple lay terms or whether you can go a little bit more technical in how you're speaking to them. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's what I often get feedback is that they say the way I'm teaching is very simple that they understand and they can remember. If you start getting too technical, then people don't remember as easy. No, that's right. Yeah. yeah, so I say keep it simple and so they can all understand. But yeah, and go at the pace that they are. Like some people, you might have to explain ten times. Over and over, and I don't care if they ask me a hundred times, I will still go over and I'll say no question is ever a silly question. Because some people say, oh, this question might be a bit silly. And I said, no question is ever silly. Because I know when I first started, you know, exactly how I was. And sometimes you're not game to even ask a question when you first start out because others listening in the group might think, oh, they're not up to where we are thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so everybody's different and you just have to gauge the group when you've got them together and you soon work that out when you do a meet and greet and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think though as an attendee to a workshop, I think you've also got to say different people are all, as you said earlier, different people are at different points in their journey. Some people are going to know more about something than you might or some people are going to know less and to be honest. That shouldn't matter. And as you say, there's no no stupid questions. If you no. want to learn something, then asking questions is a great way to do it. Yeah. Tim and I only take four people on our workshops. So yep. four people to two professionals, they're getting lots of hands-on, lots of attention. They're yeah. one photographer to eight people, which a lot of people do. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah yeah so we like to give everyone that individual attention and give them what they need yeah fantastic yeah what's your favorite place to shoot and why oh <laughs> there's numerous bombo quarry is one yep. of my favorite places only because there's several composition you can get and the ocean is never the same when you're there. It's been there when the waters come right up over the rocks and yep. yeah, and when the seas are really high. And just the formation, the rock formations, there's just so much. It's just such an interesting place. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I really like that. Um yeah, I guess then I guess the South Island of New Zealand sort nice. of yeah. is one of my favorite places as well. But then saying that so many countries, they all have their unique spots. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if someone asked me where should they go and shoot, it would be hard. It just depends on what they like. It's what I like. They might not like. Yeah. Um, I'm a real stickler for dead trees and because that's quite evident in a lot of my photos and <laughs> old jetties. I just love old jetties and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, everyone's different. It's it's really hard. Like Horsehead yeah. Rock, that's another favourite spot. It's getting a bit harder to get to nowadays with my knee replacement and things. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, everything's a favourite place if I've got the right conditions. Fair <laughs> How does where you live influence how and what you shoot? Ah, good question. When I first started photography, I used to think the local area was wonderful, but now I don't tend to shoot so much here in the local area. Uh -huh. um, only because a lot of the locals don't get out of their comfort zone, don't go out of their own area. So that's all you're seeing locally is the same places all the time. Yeah, right. And I'm a person that likes to be different and come up with different locations to what you're seeing every day. I like to broaden my horizons, and, and I guess that's why I like travelling as well, to get all these different places. Mm. Next month I'm away for five weeks to Iceland and Norway, Italy, Switzerland, Slovenia. Nice. And that's with Tim Poulton as well and three other photographers, four other photographers. Yeah, so that's going to be quite interesting. I've never been there to, uh, especially Iceland and Norway. I'm really looking forward to that and doing the Northern Lights. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the Northern Lights before? Yeah, I especially went over to Alaska back in nice. uh, March yeah. this year and did a six-night. It was all just, we shot all night and slept of a day. That's all the workshop was, Northern Lights, focused on Northern Lights. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely phenomenal. Like people said to me, oh, you'll never see the Northern Lights with your eye. The camera will capture it. That's totally untrue. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> but it's just you see all the colours in the sky and it's just dancing away. It's just you just have to stand there and take it all in. It's just the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And then you get all the snow there with it and we had it down to minus 30 degrees. It was quite cold and your tripods freeze and you can't turn the legs in and anything like that. But it was worth the experience just seeing it. Definitely. Yeah. If you could retire at one of the places you've shot, which would it be? Oh, <laughs> if it's here in Australia, it would have to be Kaima. 
Okay. Yeah, I really like Kiama. Yeah. Um, I used to live down near there at Forest Forest Hill, not Forest Hill. Can't even remember now. Out of Barrel. I used to live there in Barrel. Oh, okay. Yep. 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 Wiles Meadow and Burrowing and all those places. So yeah. I used to duck down to Kiama quite a bit with the kids when they were little. But yeah, if it was overseas, I guess it'd be probably the South Island of New Zealand. Sounds yeah, a lovely place, but yeah. But after I get back from these other countries next month, it might yeah, you might have a couple of new ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, what's your most memorable experience taking photos today? Oh, that's a hard one. I guess probably being at the Meraki Boulders. That was quite incredible because I got the great sky to go with it. Nice. Yeah, yeah but I guess my most memorial time at the moment would be probably Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, got a bit spoiled. Although I did Canada just after that. I went straight from there across to Canada, and that was pretty awesome in the wintertime there as well. So Yeah, Canada, Canada in winter is a, a special place, I think, around Banff and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah, and then I went to Morant's Curve because you never know when that train's yep. going to come and I got just fabulous conditions there, which excited me. So, yeah, no, it's just really pretty there and I'm looking forward to doing the workshop there in the autumn next year. Um, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, because I went there a few, couple of years ago just before COVID, my husband and I, and it was beginning of March and I thought I'd go to Lake Louise and see this beautiful aqua lake, but got there and I was so disappointed because it was all iced over. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about it being winter and that it had ice over. But yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that next year as well. Nice, nice. What about horror stories? Horror stories. I've got one where I was quite frightened, as I've said earlier, that I like shooting on my own. And I was up in Harvey Bay and staying okay, yeah. at the resort. And I woke early and I thought, oh, well, I'll just go down and sit in the car and wait because it was just far too dark. Normally when I get to a location, I'm getting the camera gear out and putting it on my tripod because it's all on the back seat. But this particular morning, I thought, oh, I'll just sit in the car and look at social media. I kept the car running. And all the doors locked. And next minute, because I'm looking down at my phone, next minute, knock on the window. And I nearly went through the car roof, right in the daylights out of me. And I says, what do you want? And he said, put your window down. I said, no, what do you want? And he said, are you all alone? I said, and he's trying to look through the windows because my car windows were tinted. Yeah. I said, no, I'm here with my husband. He's just gone over to the toilet. And that was the wrong thing to say because next minute his mates started coming out of the toilet oh, and right. started coming to the car and he tried to open my door. Wow. And I thought, holy crap, I've got to get the hell out of here. And so I put the car in reverse and drove off and drove down the road and I thought I really wanted to shoot this particular jetty because I hadn't shot it before. Oh, sure. Arnest jetty, a Torquay jetty it was, and, and I just pulled into the surf club car park there. So I drove down the road, waited 10 minutes, come back, and the minute I drove in, they started coming towards the car again. Wow. And I thought, oh, I can't risk this. So I ended up going down to the other jetty that I've shot before where there was other photographers and runners and walkers and that sort of thing. So that really frightened me a bit. But, yeah. I so imagine. Yeah, but normally 
I'm usually pretty careful about that. And Harvey Bay used to be a really safe place, but now there's a lot of hooligans and unemployed and uh, yeah. they're all on ice and all that sort of thing. So it's probably not the best spot now to go on your own. Yeah, right. Yeah. But apart from that, there's really no other horror stories unless you count cameras going in the ocean water, rock <laughs> pools, water rock pools. That's what happened to actually my first camera. I was at okay. a with Andrew from Nissi. They had a Nissi filter thing, and I knew nothing about filters at the time. And Dale Sharp had organised it as a Nikon group meetup, and down at Corumban. And I thought I'll get there early. And I had my first crop camera and this thirty dollar cheapy tripod. And the wind came up and blew it back into a rock pool and smashed everything. So oh, I was nice. devastated. But, so then my husband says, "We'll go and buy another camera." So that's when I went the next day and bought a full frame camera. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but yeah so apart from that no i'm just when you do the astro sort of thing you get frightened with the kangaroos <laughs> yeah, yeah. person didn't think anyone else was out here and normally i don't do astro on my own i normally do it with the guys here locally it's normally pretty good doesn't yeah. be on your own sort of in places at night but around brisbane you know where you can go and where you can't go yeah. yeah, a lot of Indigenous and homeless people hang out under one of the particular bridges, and I just won't go there on my own at night. Yeah, understandably. Yeah, yeah so you just got to be safe and be wise in the decisions where you go. Mm. What's photography taught you about the world? Uh, there's so much to see and so much to capture. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the world's quite a big place and and I guess you could go to several places all over the world and it's an escape. It's a place yeah, you can yeah. escape to and really immerse yourself into photography and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it enriches your life. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's your routine like when you come back home from your shoot? Are you putting the images straight up and getting diving into the edit or are you <laughs> one to, to leave them for a little bit of time and and let them rest yeah I'm one to leave them and let them rest I'm never one to race home and put them on the computer I think I've I think I have over 2,000 photos to edit because I'm always out shooting and always all over the place but they'll wait for a rainy day or when I'm not doing anything but yeah I've never been one to race home and put them up in my earlier days when I used to shoot with a lot of the locals they couldn't get home quick enough and now you got home from the shoot and they've got a photo up already and I think my golly I think it's better if you can leave it a bit yeah okay yeah I don't know that's just a personal thing yeah some some people get excited about it and they they see what they they think they've captured and they they just have to get into it yeah yeah I, and i'm never one to really edit when i'm away either okay or anything a lot of times i don't even take the laptop but now that i've just got the new smaller apple laptop it'll be a bit easier to travel with and sure. download my images but yeah unless i'm feeling really bored when i'm away and nothing to do at night next month i might do a little bit of editing while I'm away, but I'll see what happens. Yeah. What is your process? Sorry. What does your processing workflow look like? I used to be just purely Lightroom. Okay. Uh, Timothy Poulton runs editing courses. He's yep. a bit of a guru being background in graphic art. 
artist. He runs them on his property and I just done an advanced one with him a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, so now it's Photoshop into Bridge and then Photoshop. There's so much to learn in Photoshop. Yeah, well, there's more and more changes to it. The, the recent one with the generative fill, for example, coming out uh, with 24. Yeah, when I changed computers because the laptop that I had, it the internal thing in it wasn't big enough to handle the new Photoshop update. So that's yeah, wow. Going to get a new laptop it was five years old, so it's probably a little yeah, yeah. the internal hard drive wasn't very big to cope with it. But then when I got the Apple and got everything transferred over, and I went into Photoshop, and all it kept coming up was this degenerative thing and with beta, and and I hated it. So I ended up deleting it off the computer altogether. Okay. And, um, and people said, oh, no, you should have kept it there. But I think it's only an experimental thing, isn't it, at the moment? With no, it's in full release now. The, so the latest version of, or the publicly released version of Photoshop now has the uh, AI generative fill. Okay. And do people have to buy that? No, it's not separate. It's part of the Photoshop subscription. So if you, with the Photoshop or Adobe CC, the the sort of paid subscription model, then it comes automatically. Oh, okay. I'll have to look back into that. Yeah. yeah. I haven't experimented with it, but... Uh... I had a bit of a play with it. I've got to say for simple stuff like water or grass textures and those sorts of things, it's actually not too bad. But okay. I've, I've got to say I'm unimpressed with some of what it it does and yeah the, I've, I've had a bit of a play around with uh, it a few times and I've got to be honest the the options that it comes back with are sometimes just a bit strange yeah uh, yeah yeah but or or they just don't look they, they don't look very convincing it depends a little bit about how much of the image it is that you're trying to mess with yeah, true. Uh, what the background is and so forth. But I I, I did a, an extension on a background, which was uh, I, I was playing with a, one of my shots from Fiji recently. I, I just got back from a trip over there and I had this shot of some palm trees and some grass and some nice aqua water and I wanted to play around with the edge between the grass and the the sand and yeah. I wanted a bit more sand. And so I asked for what I thought would give me what I wanted, but it chucked deck chairs and things in as well as okay. sand in. And it was kind of like, well, I didn't ask for deck chairs, so why are you putting them in? So, because, yeah. you know, I, I used the term beach, which obviously deck chairs might be found on a beach, but, yeah, it just came back with some very strange sort of interpretations of what I put in. And yeah. I think if you're going to use it, you would have to probably practice and learn how to structure your requests in such a way that it's going to give you exactly what you want. Yeah, I do think it's the way that everything's going to go in the future. To me, I think it's going to take away the challenge of editing and the fun of editing your own photo using the tools in Photoshop that you know how to use. Yeah, it's going to make it easier. It's To, to be honest, I, I think it'll probably impact the 
the people that are into composites a little bit more. But it, it's just, I guess, a, a a choice that you can make. I usually don't add a lot unless I'm doing a composite, and then I'm usually using three to five other images that I'm blending together. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, it's I'm. I don't think I'll use it a lot. I can see instances where I'd use it a little bit. I do like the new remove tool. I was just going to ask you about that because I yeah. think that that's really good and it does a better job than what you. Yeah, for, for for me, it, it's better than cloning because that cloning, particularly in in certain circumstances, you end up with these weird patterns and things that you don't want or artifacts and then you've got to play around with it to try and get rid of them you can they can still do artifacts but it does a much better job of something against the sky or against the water or against the grass background or the trees yeah uh, where it's a, a confused background it does a much better job of cleanly removing people yeah. or, then like know, those it's photos. a rubbish or whatever that you don't want in the image yeah, like you get a lot of, sometimes you get the ghosty people in the yeah. photo, especially um, if you've got the, the jetty and you've got part of the jetty and when you go to do it, it'll take away part of the jetty and yeah, you know, sort of thing, whereas people say it does a really good job that way as well. Yeah, think, things like dust bunnies, it's fantastic. It's really good at getting rid of your dust spots. Right. But, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't overuse it, but there's certain... And it's not great when you start to remove large portions of your image if you if you're getting up over say into the realms of four or five percent of your image you're starting to get it it, it sometimes leaves artifacts getting right. rid of those artifacts though is simply you just go over it again usually and it'll, it'll get rid of the artifact that it created okay yeah yeah no there's, um you never stop learning in in the editing no side. definitely not definitely not the the editing side of things is always a uh a a, a new realm to explore i'd love to wave a magic wand and uh, say here just edit this photo <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, um, th- funnily enough the the denoise the aid noise is something which i really enjoy as well i had a, a couple of shots which were a little bit underexposed and a couple of other shots that i've played with that i had to use a high iso to, yeah. to to get the shot and are you usually worried about using high isos because you're going to end up with noise and the the way that it cleans that up now is uh, absolutely amazing and i haven't tried that yet i usually take mine if i need it especially like astro shots or something like that sure, sure. In topaz denoise yeah I, I don't have topaz so i can't compare them i have tried it i did the sort of 30-day trial and it did a very good job and it was doing that well earlier than photoshop's ai denoise but i think the ai denoise there in photoshop now is on par okay yeah yeah i'll have to try that yeah uh, anyway back to 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 your work do you print much of your work yeah my walls are all full here <laughs> And then I get people that send me a message saying they want to buy this or buy that print. Yeah. But I also get a lot of requests with this NFTs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every day. And, you know, I just 
don't even bother with it. I did a video actually on that about demystifying the NFT scam messages that you get through mostly Instagram, a little bit on Facebook. But yeah, most of the people that are coming at you asking for NFTs, if it's happening in Instagram or Facebook, is more than likely somebody trying to scam you. Yeah, exactly. Because who has the money to pay what they're asking that they'll tell you want? There are collectors out there that are, are into that, but usually they're looking at artists that have already engaged in that NFT space. And most of what I've seen in that sort of environment has been through mostly developing personal relationships with between the collector and the artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've just ignored it all so far, so. Probably wise, probably <laughs> wise. <laughs> you hear of so many people that get taken and lose their money and money's too hard to earn. That's yeah. exactly right, yeah. You wouldn't make a fortune just selling your prints? No. I make more money doing one-on-ones and workshop, a lot more. Yeah, same. The prints, it's just a bit of a sideline, really. Because people say, oh, you can take really good photos on your phone and we can just get them printed now. And I said, yes, you can, but you can only go to a certain size, really. That's it. Unless you're starting to use AI scaling and all those sorts of things, which you can do, but... Yeah, I'm not sure of the point of that. When if you get a good camera that's a full frame and you or a medium format and you're taking a a larger uh, raw file, then editing it, you're going to be in a much better position to to use that as a a large scale print than oh, exactly iPhone shop. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I know the iPhones and all the smartphones are getting really good, but they'll never be as good as a camera. Mm. well that's my opinion anyway but you've got more control over a camera with what you can do changing your settings and there's no way on my phone I could take the long exposures like I do three minutes five minutes yeah yeah it's when you get up into those extreme long exposures that they tend not to the the other thing is that when you're talking about a, a sensor, which is probably the size of your, the the nail on your little finger, it's um, not going to give you the the resolution you want for for large scale. Despite the fact that they might say it's fifty or sixty megapixels or whatever the the latest one is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But, it's still uh, a tiny sensor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I love using my filters and people say, oh, you don't really need filters. You can do what you're achieving all in post. And I thought, yes, you can turn a photo. If you've got a few clouds, you can turn it into a long exposure and that sort of thing. You can put a grad filter on and all that sort of thing. fun in that, though. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I enjoy getting out there and working it all out. And I'm very much look at my app and get my settings right and then how long am I going to use if I'm using a 10 stop whereas I've had a lot of photographers say oh I just guess and I said and how many times do your photos don't turn out yeah. oh quite often so that's because you're guessing and then you might not get an opportunity you've missed that moment where you've that's got it. the color I always teach all my students always use your 
use the Nissi app. I'm a big fan of Nissi filters. I do have a few case ones. I do have the cheap ones, KNF, for students to use because I don't want my Nissi ones broken. But yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, but they do throw a tiny little bit of colour cast, but a lot of people can't afford the Nissi ones and they want to learn to do the long exposures. What do you tell them? Yeah, start that's it. Cheap, and if it's what you really like and what you want to do, we'll then start looking at, you know, your Nissi filters or something like that. But um, Yeah, the one thing I tell them is avoid those those variable ND filters. Oh, I, I don't know how people use them, Grant. Yeah, I bought one way back in the day and, yeah, they, I, I just found real problems with them. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know about you, but I'm not a believer in having a polarizer when I use a grad and, and an ND filter. No. So many people turn up at a sunrise and they've got the polarizer on and, and they're starting to shoot before the sun's up. And I said, you haven't got sunglasses on, have you? Yeah. No. I said, look well, at you put them on your, on your lens. Yeah. Put them on your camera. And they look at you. And I said, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. And why do you need it with all that? But so many people just seem to think that they need it. Mm. You really want to leave it. It's up to you. Once you've got your grad and your ND filter on, you can't see unless you get your polarizer in the exact right spot to start with. You can't alter it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really hard to fix that in post. Very much. I don't hardly use a polarizer at all, mate. Maybe odd time on a waterfall or something, but yeah, yeah. No, I, situationally I'll use it. But yeah, I don't. I don't use them a lot. I most mostly use NDs. Yeah, and then if I've got, if I'm shooting during the day, and you've got the bright light on the water, it could help with that. But I'm not one to really shoot much during the day. I'm usually a sunrise and a sunset person, but. Yeah. Um, Occasionally, I'll do a day shot and it's worked out fine, but normally it's morning and evening when I shoot. Mm. Everyone has creative blocks and challenges and that feeling of, I don't want to do this anymore or I'm just not inspired to do it now. How do you get around that and what strategies do you use to stay inspired and engaged? It's an interesting question you've asked that because a few years ago I had one of the local fellows, he used to be a wedding photographer, well-known wedding photographer and architecture photographer. He was in his 80s now. And he says, oh, you'll, you won't keep this up and uh, you'll burn out and you won't enjoy it as much. But I can honestly say, Grant, I haven't had that happen yet. I just find every time I go out, it's I just love to be out there with my camera. And yeah, for me at the moment, it's still something that I'm really enjoying and I'd hate to be without my camera at the moment. And yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't know if I'll ever not want to get out there and capture yeah, well, I, I think that's really cool that you've not had that experience. Yeah, when it comes to editing, that could be a different story. <laughs> I've got to really be in the mood to edit. Otherwise, if I'm not, then it doesn't turn out how I want it. And then you find yourself resetting and starting again, or you just get up and walk away and leave it for a few days. But but no, never. I just, I'd be out there every single day. If there was cloud and I knew there was going to be excellent cloud, high cloud, medium cloud and colour, I'd be out there every day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's been obsessive, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. 
What do you see as the future of photography and what do you think is its biggest challenge at the moment? Oh, I still think there's a huge future in photography. This is, there'll never, ever be places that you can't shoot. Yeah, the challenges that you would come across, I don't know. I guess if you want to travel outside your local area, for some people it would be a financial thing. The rising costs of interest rates and that for a lot of people, they think twice about going places and booking on workshops and things like that because they say it's just very unstable at the moment and mm-hmm. I don't know where they're heading. But for myself, I don't have any worry about that because I don't have any debt, but that's not the case with everybody. But for my own situation, I think there's still a great future in photography. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. What, what about challenges? Challenges? There will always be challenges, always whether it's you can get to locations, yeah, or just even just the challenge in challenging yourself, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think for me I've got to have a lot of patience and and just even it comes down to I guess the challenge for me is all in the planning. Plan, then you're not sure of the conditions you're going to get and that sort of thing and And then you'll turn up and you'll be disappointed. Whereas I like to turn up and have those great conditions and come away being excited and full of those memories that it's going to lead to eventually down the track when I look back on that photo and and think, wow, that was a great day when I shot this particular photo. Every photo I look at, I know where it was and when it was taken and the conditions it was. That might change as I get older and lose my marbles, but (laughs) (laughs) But at the moment it's it's really good. And I'm really lucky that I have a very supportive husband that lets me travel where I want, when I want, and and go and capture all these lovely places. And, yeah, so I think, and seeing I'm a cancer survivor, I like to do what I can while I can. So I never know what I might bring. So that's why I travel a lot as well and enjoying it at the moment. So while I'm still enjoying it, I'll still be shooting. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What do you like to do when you're not out shooting? I used to teach piano. Okay. And I used to do wedding cakes and birthday cakes. I used to be a professional um, cake maker and decorator. And I enjoy music as well. I did eight years on the piano. 12 months on the violin, taught myself the guitar. Cool. So I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, really, but I can't knit or sew. So <laughs> <laughs> people will say to me, is there anything you can't do? And, uh, yeah, I can't knit and I can't sew. So <laughs> yeah, No, I, I can't knit or sew either. I I remember learning when I was much younger, but yeah, it's never been something that I've uh, wanted to keep doing. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess whatever I put my heart and soul into, I like to do well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it properly, and that's always been my motto too with taking photos, sussing out my locations and getting that good composition and, and I can't get it this way. And I use my phone a lot for compositions when I turn up and prior to a shoot I'll do all different angles I'll do high low left and sometimes they're all great and and that's something I also 
say to my students, don't just stand in the one spot and take the same photo over. You want to go home from a shoot where you've got different compositions and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's worthwhile, but some say, no, I've got it right here and I like this spot. I'll say, yeah, but you're going to go home with 50-odd photos of the same thing. That's it. Yeah, the ver- the variation might be your shutter speed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's an interesting, something that started out as a hobby that's turned into something that's more professional now. It's it's done me good and, and I'm still enjoying it and hopefully it will still be that way for a number of years yet. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think you'd be if you weren't a photographer? Right now, since I retired from nursing? Yeah. Uh, Oh, maybe a beach bum. <laughs> Laying in the sun every day. Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> yeah, you could say it's the same thing. I really don't know, Grant, what I would do. And that's the worrying part. If I didn't have photography when I retired, I'd be bored. I'd just be sitting inside. There's only so much playing of the piano you can do. There's only so much exercising you can do. Whereas photography, you can be out in the morning, you can be out in the afternoon, you can be out during the day, and then you've got yeah, to yeah. as well. So it, it really fills in your time. And there's always editing, and if you if it's a business, plenty of admin to do. <laughs> yeah, and planning, planning the workshops. Okay, what countries are we going to? Normally Tim chooses all that, but we've got some interesting ones coming up. We've got Bhutan coming up for 2025, which is going to be very interesting. It's not a place. Yeah, that'd be very cool. Yeah, yeah. And we've got Tuscany next year, which is that's that workshop's full. So mm. Japan, Japan's really interesting. I really like Japan. Yeah, so many cool places. But yeah, and sometimes it's just a matter of coming up with different places where it's just not like majority of the professional photographers are doing. I know we do New Zealand, but a lot of the people love New Zealand. We do that and we've just started Tassie for next year. That booked out within a couple of hours. But we have to go to more, I wouldn't say exotic places, but places where you don't see a lot of other photographers going. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. And that just keeps people interested as well. So many people have done a lot of the workshops with a lot of the main photographers here in Australia and they say, oh, running out of places to go. But we are looking at bringing in a number of Asian countries as well, but it's a matter of fitting them all in as well. Yeah, that's it. And you sort of look at some cheaper options too, Grant, because not everyone can afford to you know, go to Iceland or go to Europe. No, this is, it. is expensive. And like next year we're doing USA and, and Patagonia as one trip and and that's full. But, uh, yeah, and that's actually not on the website because that was designed to suit my needs for that com- those countries. But, yeah, it's where New Zealand's not expensive to get to, Tassie's not expensive to get to, Asia's not expensive to to get to and was looking at the countries that you don't really need a visa to get into just to make it easier when people are traveling and takes a lot of planning and that sort of thing like we're looking at Korea as well as a workshop mm-hmm. any from Australia photographers that um, do Korea so you're looking at different alternatives just to keep yeah. people interested yeah sounds it certainly sounds exciting yeah, yeah. Photography is exciting, Grant. Absolutely. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I'm still enjoying it. And that's the main thing. I love my cameras that I've got and they work for me. So that's the main thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the lenses that I don't really use or need. I'm looking at selling my macro lens because I don't really do macro. It's a brand yeah, really. lens, but you get it because you think you might need it and, and that sort of thing, but it's just money sitting there that's waste, really. Definitely. Yeah. 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 But, um, Are there any photographers that you think I should be talking to on the podcast? I reckon Timothy Poulton. <laughs> he'd be, he'd be a, a great one to talk to. Yeah, um, he's already on the list. Oh, okay. I haven't spoken to him, but he's on my list, yeah. Oh, look, even if you message him on um, Facebook and get his phone number, he'll give you his phone number and just chat to him. He's, he's an awesome guy. He's, he's been at the top of racing, he used to race cars. He's done all that and won events with that. And Yeah, he's, he's a really cool guy. And he's a musician as well. He's got a lot on Spotify. He's doing quite well. And okay. Quite a bit of money out of it. There's another fellow called Greg Benz, B-E-N-Z. Do you know Greg? I know Greg, yeah. Yeah, well, Max Rive, he's another great photographer. Cool. Um, yeah, there's some of the, and I think you've already done Michael, Shane Blum. Yep, yep. Before and, and Izzy, because Izzy, I follow him quite closely because he's a long exposure man. As yeah, well. Izzy Abalila was on quite a few episodes ago. <laughs> yeah 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 no he's a he's a really nice yeah he's guy. a good guy is he i i like his work and uh yeah yeah and he's very helpful if you're going down south australia or kangaroo island or any places like that he's quite willing to share with you locations whereas a lot of photographers won't give you information yeah mm. i get asked all the time where's this why don't i put out a book of all the locations i do and that sort of thing and i thought I found a lot of them, most of them myself. This is it. I think if you're willing to put the effort in to find them, it's not that hard, particularly with things like Google Earth, et cetera. Oh, Google Earth. Yeah, I had, uh, there was a spot they were all doing and there was a whole heap of dead trees and I actually asked a good friend of mine where it was. He says, oh, I got taken there. I'll have to ask the person that took me. And I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. Anyway, I thought there's only so much of the lake. So I got on Google Earth and I found it. Yeah. Now I've had that many people go and shoot there and ask me where it is and I just give them the location and put a cross where they have to turn and where it is and, yeah, it never, ever bothers me sort of thing of giving locations because if I've already shot it, what does it matter? This is it. <laughs> but some won't give any info out. No, some are very, very reticent to talk about where, they, where they've shot. I think if something if I'm at a place that's environmentally sensitive, then I'm a little bit yeah, reticent to tell everybody where it is. If somebody DMs me though, I'd more than happy to share it. But yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like yeah. a place on a private property recently and he's got a big dam and on his dam he's got this really old little jetty. And so many asked me where that was. Unfortunately, I can't tell them that one because it's private property and he's an elderly man. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't have a gate that's locked to get into the property. And I'd hate to think that a lot of photographers were going in there early morning or late at night and scaring the daylights out of the poor old fellow. But, yeah, so that one I couldn't give. You have to be sensible in 
in where you've shot and that sort of things. I'll tell you another one, I'm his admin, I mentioned earlier, but actually didn't tell you what his name was, Tim Shields. You've probably seen him advertised everywhere. Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of his work, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's won quite a number of awards. Have you ever done Peter Lick? Have you ever interviewed Peter Lick? No, I haven't yet. Yeah, yeah, he's a Pano fellow. Mm -hmm. So he's quite good as well. No worries. Thanks for those. Yeah, no worries. i got one more question for you, and it's the most important one that I ask my guests. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Yes, I do. Excellent. <laughs> one of my favourite. <laughs> but you're one that orders it. I absolutely do. Always have to have pineapple on a pizza. Excellent. Excellent. Why is that? <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for taking some time to talk to me today. It's been absolutely wonderful uh, meeting up with you and getting to know you a little bit better. Where can people find your work? They can find me on Wendy Klein Photography on Facebook. Uh, sometimes I put it just on Wendy Klein on Facebook. I do have Instagram, Wendy Klein underscore photography. And I've also got a website, which Tim's just working on right this moment. We've been talking about it today because he said the one I had wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be wendycline.photography. Fantastic process of getting that done but at the moment it's um, Wendy Klein slip pick but yeah so that'll be a new website coming up in the next few days look forward to seeing it yeah thank you oh thanks very much Wendy it's been really good to catch up with you thank you very much Grant for spending the time pleasure okay Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.